Hello, 1517 Podcast listeners. This is Caleb Keith, director of the 1517 Podcast Network, with a brief announcement for you. 1517 will be participating in Giving Tuesday this year, that is November 28th, with a $200,000 goal. Our Giving Tuesday campaign has a matching fund this year, and so every dollar you give will be matched. We appreciate your support for the Podcast Network and for the rest of what 1517 does. We work hard to provide high-quality, Christ-centered resources every single day of the week. If you've been enjoying this podcast or many of the other things at 1517, we ask you to please consider supporting 1517 during this crucial time. The end of the year is important for us as we look to close our budgetary needs for 2023 and start off strong in 2024. A $200,000 goal is ambitious, but I know with the support of our listeners on the podcast network and many of the other friends and partners of 1517 that we will be able to reach this goal. Please consider supporting your favorite podcast and the rest of the projects at 1517 today by going to 1517.org slash giving Tuesday and making a gift, or you can follow the link in the show notes below that says support this podcast on giving Tuesday. We thank all of you who continue to partner with 1517 to provide these resources. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of your favorite 1517 podcast. Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio, joined by my dear friends and colleagues, the Reverend Dr. Michael Berg and the Reverend Professor Jason Oakland. Uh, it's a reunion of sorts that we've got the, the three together. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Um, Let the Bird Fly is part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. You can go to 1517.org, find lots of great resources there. Um Freedom Lessons launched November 10th, which is an, uh, an a music album that you can find on Spotify or wherever you get your music based off the large catechism. They worked with a kind of a fun assortment of seminary professors and others to put this together, uh, a eclectic group of musicians. You can then go out of 1517 and find out more or look in the show notes. Also, November 14th, a uh, new book from 1517, Your God is Too Glorious by Chad Bird. Uh, launched as well in its second edition. Uh, if you're interested in that, you can go to the publishing arm of 1517. You can find all that again through 1517.org. Uh, Giving Tuesday, as you probably heard in a promotional uh, <coughs> uh, file uh, before the beginning of this episode, is Tuesday, November 28th, 2023. That's a great opportunity to keep the uh, podcast network in mind uh, should you be looking to make uh, some charitable donations for Giving Tuesday. Uh, today we are going to be digging in again into the prophets. We had an episode a little bit ago on Ezekiel that uh, Michael proposed and I really enjoyed. 
And today we're going to be looking at Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 2. I don't think we're going to have a free-for-all because we, we're recording between classes and, and we've got things to do and we have, uh, we have places to be. So we're going to try to keep it short and sweet and we'll make our way then right into Jeremiah if Michael... If you would be so kind as to give us our disclaimer. The show doesn't speak for our churches or church bodies or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends. And don't let us get in the way. us to our main topic, which is Jeremiah chapter 2, uh, maybe just the prophetic in general, how they often will approach things, but especially Jeremiah chapter 2. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, Jeremiah is kind of, uh, if you think of this, a, a good book. At the beginning, it's going gonna, it's gonna to state its thesis. It's going to kind of draw you in a bit. And then pretty early on in the introduction, it's going to tell you what's coming, right? What to expect. I was tell my students writing a paper or a book is like a, a nice first date. You don't want to give all the details of what's happening. You want there to be some room for surprise. But you want to give enough that your date knows uh, this is not going to be like an episode of Criminal Minds or something um, that they feel safe yeah, and they good. know what they're getting themselves into. <clears throat> and uh, this is a, a pretty blunt, a pretty straightforward uh, summary of the content that is going to come from Jeremiah that really runs in the chapter 3 uh, up to about um, verse 5. Uh, we don't know when in Jeremiah Jeremiah's ministry he has this oracle um, <clears throat> that is revealed to him, but he leads with it as, a, I think, a summary of the warning that Judah specifically, but um, the Israelites are receiving. And I'll go ahead and open with just the beginning part up till verse 13, which is really what caught my attention when I was reading through this recently. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the firstfruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us out from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruit and its good things, but when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord, 
Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. For cross to the coasts of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and imagine with care, see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Uh, We'll read that far, but we're free to address more in the chapter if you guys want to go there. I had a devotion for the faculty meeting yesterday. Uh, Jason, what did you think of that? It was good. What was your favorite part? Broken cisterns part. Oh, really? So <laughs> so Jason came late to the, the faculty did. meeting. So he, he had to stand in the corner, the corner of shame. That's right. Yes, I was um, in the corner of shame. When he came in. But I, I, I talked a little bit about uh, Jeremiah 2.13, and it's striking to me uh, how the Lord puts the, the two evils here. And I, I think it hits kind of what we do a lot on the podcast, and especially um, what Mike has done with vocation and baptismal stuff. Uh, he, what are the two evils? Well, you've forsaken me. And in, in, in what is the Lord? Uh, the Lord is the fountain of living waters. And think of, right, the importance of moving water. Moving water is drinkable water. It's clean water. When they say living water, like when we hear living water, we think, oh, this is an analogy, which it is. But for them, living water is moving fresh water. It's You can drink it. Yeah, and it's not stale. It's not like no one, no one wants to drink from like a pond. You shouldn't. Right. In fact. Right. Well, maybe, I don't know. You shouldn't. <laughs> I want to tell people what to do. Well, I, I would say that it would end poorly for you. Yeah, there was when I was at Boy Scout camp as a kid, there was a kid who did, and uh, he spent a lot of time in the outhouse. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, it worked its way through him. You want to move. Being alive means, like, quicken it, its movement. We don't. The ancients thought, like, how do you define something that's alive? It moves. Right. And especially, like, if you think people are doing things in the water. You want it to keep moving. You don't want it to just sit there and, and fester. So the first evil is you've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And, and right, that picture of living water just runs throughout the scripture. Um, Christ is spoken of as right the you know the river of life or this idea of the moving waters. He talks to the Samaritan woman. Right, you'll never have to draw water again from this well. Um, but what's the second thing? You have hewed out they, um, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. And here again, for context, we, we live in the Midwest. We're spoiled. Lake like, Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. And we get, we get rain in the spring, in the fall. We get snow, which becomes water when it melts in the, in the winter. Thunderstorms in the summer. Um, we sometimes, they'll be like, oh, you know, we're bordering on drought. But that's very rare, and it often gets fixed pretty quickly when we get some rain. Um, we have water treatment centers. We have, as was mentioned, Lake, Lake Michigan, Michigan to draw from. And uh, so we just have water year-round, and it's readily accessible. But if you live in a part of the world that has dry seasons, uh, 
cisterns became very important. And so you have uh, cisterns, or think of like a, a big cup in the ground. Um, I think sometimes shaped like a bell or a wine glass. Um, but sometimes this would be rock. Sometimes they could add metals or chalk or other resources to this. And this would collect water when there was rain in the rainy season that you could then drink later. Many of these cisterns got improved as they had technological advancements. And so it makes sense that God would use this picture of like, oh, you've come up with new ways of of handling your water. And a, a good cistern was a full cistern, right? You wanted to fill that. Uh, California has this, right, where sometimes they've got these reservoirs and they start getting really low and they get really nervous. Like if, you have, if you've lived in Southern California with friends who live there, you know like, one of the nice things is it doesn't rain that often. Like as a bicyclist, you're what, just a few days a year I got to deal with rain and it's uh. not much rain. That sounds great. Except when you don't want to run out of water. And so they also, they've, they've hewn, they've built these cisterns. And this but they is, don't work. This is kind of a thing even, even around here in some older houses in their basements. Yep. You know, they would have, I mean, it's not quite the same thing, but they would have this built-in tank. You know, it was an open tank that uh, can would I, fill with water. Can I just ask Michael, and I, is it difficult for you also to take him seriously when he's holding that little Coke when he says something? He's like a monster. Yep. Right. It's like a giant. With yeah. a I mentioned this last head. episode, too, and it just, and yeah. when he's like, he moves his hand just enough to like bring it <laughs> up while he's making his point in it. Yes. Like you can That's get right. your, hand, your whole hand around the hole. Yeah. That's right. I, I, I mentioned it's, last week, it's like King Kong, like with a person. It's the Andre the yeah. Giant can. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. So that is a good point, though, that you yeah. made, Jason. Um, Which, when we were looking at houses, my that freaked my wife out uh, a great deal. That really? She, yeah. Do you think he has a small can so he f- seems more powerful? Like there's I think he likes the feel of it, yeah. It is. It, like it, he can, it's an empowering like thing. Kind of crush it. I've never seen him eat, of, like, a full orange either. It's always the, the baby, <laughs> what do you call those? Are you the, almost done with clementines? it? Clementines? Getting close, yeah. When you're done with it, can you just slowly crush it? <laughs> Not like crush it. Like... You know, like you would crush yeah. a, like a normal size can, yeah. but like, and, but just, and so it just, it just becomes like nothing inside your fist. Yeah, yeah. And it says dust when he. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but the idea, I, you think of the cisterns, and, and and think of Jesus with the, um, the man who fills his storehouses, and then the man fills his storehouse, right? And he, he says, "Soul, be at rest," right? Not just, not just my body, not just like I'm going to eat okay for a while, but I now can have peace. And Jesus says, what a fool, right? All this will be taken from him. Uh, and, and there's some of that with, with earthly material things going on in this chapter. As with Ezekiel, the Israelites are, cha- are kind of chasing after different patrons to protect them. Um, you've got Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians. They're going to kind of hope the Egyptians and the Assyrians can hold off the Babylonians but no one's going to be able to hold off the Babylonians, and they're going to kind of hope the Babylonians will look after them, give them some autonomy, but some will rebel from the Babylonians, and it it goes poorly. Um, But we talked with Ezekiel. uh, Israel is in a place where it's not the most important country, but it's being wooed. It's a sphere of influence, and you have these world powers, if we could speak of them then. It's it's a strategic area for trade, and and, but they are fairly insignificant when it comes to grandiose military and they're not going to win against a major power by themselves apart from the lord of course the the lord do this but um but maybe if we could i'll throw it to you michael because i think this stood out to you in ezekiel and maybe we'll see if there's crossover here 
Um, again, the Lord uses the image of him, himself being betrothed mm -hmm. to Israel. Um, and how that, there's not a lot of gospel in this section from chapter 2, verse 1 to chapter 3, verse 5. And then you will get a section of like, okay, telling Israel to return, but but even that section is like, but not Judah, like because they've done out, outdone even you, and you were the worst, the northern kingdom. Um, but maybe that relational language and how that plays in, is this just God is mad because you broke rules, or what's going on here? The more you spend time in, in the prophets, all of them, especially Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea, other ones, uh, it's almost just assumed that everybody knows this. It's more than just an analogy of God is the husband and the people are the bride, right? It starts to become like that's sort of how the lens you see a lot of this through. Uh, you, you also see it through the lens of father-child, right? Um, th there is a king uh, motif there too, but um, when it gets personal, when it gets real, uh he seems to go with the with the the husband and the bride, and we talked with Ezekiel how he gets very graphic, right? He gets very graphic, uh, even there. Here. Is, there is some stuff in here, yeah, uh, he, Michael. That and I, I'm gonna. He says, "Are we going to agree to say it the same way that we said it for Ezekiel, so that it would hopefully be less offensive?" There's there's sure. going to be depending on your translation, yeah. some whore yeah. like references. You, you, there's going to be some some potential. It, and it's a, it's a graphic way, like you you laid down as a prostitute, prostitute, mm -hmm. a prostitute. Earmuffs if there's kids in the. Uh, don't it, don't ask your parents what that means. It's um, sometimes sometimes it's okay just not to know something, kids. Yeah, but it's a, it's a a devastating critique mm -hmm. because it, it goes at purely based on Michael's Michael's face. I have my finger on the yeah. button. I'm just waiting to Go, see. It goes to the heart of of what, what's what's uh, degrading of that oldest occupation so-called oldest occupation in the world yeah um and so the picture there of course is if you if you worship a different a different god now he's not just saying okay idolatry is equal to adultery it's it's that um but the flip side is also the deep intimate love that he has for them we see this in song of songs and that it, is a book that uh and Real quick in there. Yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Unless you take, like, a super, like, puritanical view of what's happening in there. Yeah. So, let me finish. Or overly spiritual. Would it be okay if I finished my thought? I guess I'll okay. allow it. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, when when you read Jeremiah 2, um, you, you have this. Uh, he he begins, uh, Lord, the Lord came to, to me and said, go, go, say this. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Now, <clears throat> that, that is an intimate picture of we, we just got married and uh, I, got a, I got a job halfway across the, the world and we packed up, uh, we packed up our little uh, VW bug that's with every, every possession we owned and uh, we were footloose and fancy free without a care in the world and you just trusted me and you loved me and we, we went out west and there was, we didn't have a home. We didn't, you know, I barely had this idea of a job. And you followed me and, and deep love. Now, he's talking about their travels through, through the wilderness after the Exodus. And we know that 
the bride complained every step of the way. Mm-hmm. I don't like this food. I don't like this food. This is terrible. Where are I you feel eating? Tired. I don't. You know. Uh, you know. Who's in charge here? Where's the onions? Yeah. Okay. So, but but you can understand that it's it's the Lord as a lover looking back upon those days when we had some good times, mm-hmm. and 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 I, I think you 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 misunderstand the passage or you don't see its depth unless you kind of have that picture of he is he is a scorned lover. Yep. And uh so but but it's more than than just the kind of the romance and and the and the uh the picture of betrayal and and um of sexual indecency. But it's something deeper that has to do with love. <laughs> okay? So when we think about love, you ask who do you love and and this is a deep question. Like, who, what do you love and who do you love? And how do you find that out? Well, look at your bank account. Where's the money go? Look at your calendar. Where's your time go? Ask yourself, who am I? And uh, what, what are the first three or four things that come to mind? Um, where do you, where do you, so your identity. Um, and you, you start to ask, the, you start to get the, the answer to that question uh, of, of what you love. And that thing probably is your idol or at least is a threat to be an idol for you. So it could be uh it could be a club baseball. It could, it could be, be Jim Harbaugh. It could be your promotion. It could be your college football obsession. It could be your political party, uh dare I say a, a politician, a your, nation state. Your little sodas. All of these things. <laughs> yes. Uh money itself. Those all those things that we were taught that were idols when we went to catechism class and learned the first commandment. But, but it's deeper than that because these things that you throw your money at, your time at, your, your, even your, your morality and your idea, you know, gives you this, you're throwing your whole self at this thing. These things will not love you back. Right. As we've said before. And so God also says you're throwing yourself at these, at these other men. Or he says you're you're offering stuff to to stone idols, and and you and you're waiting for the stone idol to love you back, and it's a stone idol. It's not going to love you back. What are you doing? So when God says put me first, he's not saying uh, I need your attention because I'm so weak. He says if you put me first, then everything falls into place, and the gift remains the gift and not your God. It doesn't it doesn't eat you alive. You're 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 seeking of money or you're seeking of, uh, of of whatever it is it doesn't become your god and eats you alive yeah uh, it, it remains a gift. appearance it remains a gift something like that yeah uh, you start doing all sorts of all sorts of things mm-hmm. you know? and then you become jealous of other people who are successful and stuff like that yeah yeah now uh <laughs> what we're after here though is that's all wrapped <laughs> i'm a minnesota fan over here it's <laughs> just he's just kind of like what it's all wrapped up yep. it's it's all wrapped up in this picture of an intimate, an intimate love, and and yes, there's the love of father and child that's special and different and unique, and has a major role to play in the relation, describing the relationship between God and His people. But there, there's something different about a marital love there. And Paul goes there in Ephesians five in the New Testament too. Harmed, right? And you still. But I remember you, and you you followed me through the desert. Um, and it's more than hey, we had some good times. So we can make this work. It is, um, 
Remember you loved me and how sweet that was. Remember I loved you back and now you're you're seeking something else and this is this this ends poorly for you. Right. Yeah. And it, it grieves the Lord not only then, right, that he's lost their love, but precisely that they're 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 on a path to do harm to themselves. Yeah. Um and, and I think here it's helpful to remember again too, right, love is self giving. Um, and marital love is especially self giving. And so, right, God has given of himself to Israel just as he gives of himself to the church. Um, and and so this uh, this rejection of the Lord's love is more than just like, sometimes I think people, you know, view these things as just intellectual things. Well, so what? They just decided they like different religions. Right? They've rejected the very person um, the very being of of God. They've rejected who he is. It's not just that, that they kind of like these other ideas a little bit better. Uh, this is, they've rejected God himself. I would say too, Michael, you, you, you had, I think, a very good illustration for how to tell what you love, and I just think it's it's helpful for us to point out as well, you can do the same thing with fear, mm-hmm. Right. Um, with both idolatry and probably with adultery, what you fear and what you love both can reveal a lot. And and so it makes sense, for instance, that Luther would talk about that our, we fear love and trust in God. Um, but they're not only loving the wrong things, but they're fearing the wrong things. And their fear is 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 in love are feeding off each other. Um, and so their their fear is driving them to misplace trust, even as love is driving them. Uh, to misplace trust, and which in this case is especially to other princes, and and he'll have at the end of or further on in this chapter where he he kind of mocks them. The men of Memphis have shaved the crown of your head. Um, then he talks about, uh, or what do you gain by going to Assyria to to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Uh, they've pursued <clears throat> these others, um, but maybe if we just a little bit more with the idolatry. Uh, and the adultery picture as well, I think we sometimes, so we live in a world that really was reshaped in a lot of ways by monotheism and by right concepts of universality. We live post-enlightenment where right, the idea was reason is universal. There's laws of nature, right? There's just these universal things. And and so when um, when God says through Jeremiah, uh, in verse 11, has a nation changed its gods? Maybe that doesn't strike us that much, uh, not nearly as much as it would have in the ancient world. Uh, your gods were very much tied to both your heritage and your location. Um, you could add new gods, and your gods were usually pretty cool with that. Um, maybe you kept your gods supreme, uh, but you had your gods, right? And and even when you get to the time of, of Rome, which is a, a, a spans a, a great you know geographical distance, there's still that that people have their gods. And now there's a there's a pantheon, and we've added a bunch, and we've you know, but there's still things tied to that place. You know, for the for the Romans, you had certain gods that still places are named after, and those those places have specific meaning and purpose for their city and for their their history. 
So not only is God saying you've you've chosen a, a new lover, you, you you're, and you're not even betrothing yourself to this new lover. You're not even committed. You're jumping around, but you've changed your gods, right? And and think of um, as we read the Old Testament and especially the early history of Israel, what is it that people keep marveling at when Israel survives and even triumphs so many times? It's the God of Israel. And you have some of these great, account in the, great accounts in the Old Testament where even the Babylonians or the Persians go, you know, with Daniel or with someone else. Man, your God. Mm-hmm. Like, your guys is God. And then what do they do? They show favoritism to the Israelites because they're God. They want the favor of their God. And, and so God and people are intimately connected. And so for God to say, you've turned your back on me, Right, you you no longer look upon me, uh, you no longer look to me. Would have been a, this is an, an outrageous thing. The Lord is saying, has a people changed its gods, and then He hits on and, and you mentioned was stone and wood before, and not only has a people changed its gods, but has it ever changed its gods for worse gods? Yeah. You know, has it ever said, I'll take these things that have done nothing for me, and that objectively seem to not work if we know our history. Um, it's, you know, Michael and I have had quite the history with vehicles lately. <clears throat> so getting them fixed or having to buy new ones. This is like getting a nice new car that's like rated most reliable, great safety ratings, good mileage, and and then saying, you know what, I, like, that 1983 Ford Escort, <laughs> I really think... I could fix it up, right? <laughs> and uh, not even like a collector's car, but like a, a Ford Escort, you know, um, which maybe people collect. I don't know. There's probably a club somewhere. Uh, <laughs> maybe just that we that we appreciate how big a statement that is, especially as when they're turning to different peoples from lands for protection, there's gods associated with those lands too. We We really don't think of gods as local or particular even with like the death of christendom right there's just not these realms where there's this and uh and so i think idolatry and adultery are comparable in that sense too when god talks about them as his wife or bride he's just heightening what is already a very powerful relationship that existed in the ancient world between gods and goddesses and people is that, is that fair anywhere you guys want yeah, to go with there, that? Yeah. There's a lot there. I mean, you know, there, there is a sexual component to to religion in the ancient world, too. So this is not like a weird sort of thing that... But he 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 doesn't make it some sort of like a, <clears throat> a bodily function that is representative of the... Are we the going agro- somewhere, Ben? No, agricultural thing of seed and harvest. Ah, okay. He makes it about a merit... You handle that well. Merit of love. Um, and so it's always, it's always like, it's funny that he, he almost acknowledges these other gods. Like, well, I'm better than all the other gods, but he does make the case because, well, they're stone, first of all, you idiots. Um, (laughs) but also they can't, what did you expect? You're not going to get anything in return from, from stone and they're lesser than me and you're, you're degrading yourself, um, sexual manner is the is the picture there just maybe one thing on on monotheism the more i think about okay monotheism one god as opposed to polytheism 
like it wasn't just like a switch, right? There was always there was always a concept of a one God. What was unique was that they're saying this one God A is actually the supreme God you're all looking for, and so you actually don't need all these other little local gods. Number two, he has a name. You can know him, right? It's not just a, a myth or something that weird. Number three, he speaks, right? So uh, the three mono, major monotheistic religions, what's the difference between them and like the, the religions that come from the, the subcontinent of India or whatever? Well, he speaks. <laughs> and so now it's thus saith the Lord. Now you have something. You're not groping around in darkness. You actually have it. So it's, it's kind of, it would have been very hard for a Canaanite to go, you know, it's not like the Canaanites are like, hold on, let me compare your scriptures to our scriptures. Right. Right. It was a completely different way of thinking. Right. And I think that helps us understand how the prophets speak. And yeah. and that so much of the this religious experience of the area, while there were texts, um, was more what we would call practice, right? It was things you did, it was how you live. This explains how we do it, or it's going to be functional, this ritual is divination or or creation creation myth kind of thing. But uh, and certainly there's probably some morality there, but it's not like this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and then here's the Ten Commandments. It was it was something a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know just the idea that the Lord compared to other gods. I mean that, and you know what they can do. I mean he references multiple times, or you know Jeremiah does the not only um, the time in the wilderness, but you know, specifically being led out of Egypt and the deliverance there, which, you know, again, is pops up how often throughout the the Old Testament, you know, from the time that that happens being brought out of, of Egypt and Exodus and through the Red Sea. Um, but it's repeated over and over and over again. And this, you know, this objective fact of deliverance to say, you know, you can, you can point to, you know, these specific things that... <laughs> that the Lord has done um, as opposed to what you're hoping might happen from these other things that are worth nothing um, and, and are nothing. The other thing I think that is kind of interesting is that, you know, the Lord uses this picture of, of marital love. um, But the way that, you know, the, the, the vehemence and the eagerness that he describes the people's, Willingness, number one, to reject him, but also then to, to go after, you know, other things. And there he does use, I think it's really interesting that, you know, the picture of the, um, the, the natural, naturalistic pictures of, you know, the, um, the camel and the, the donkey and, yeah. and you know, that. It's kind of a great line, although we shouldn't unpack it too much of the, right, the, the donkey is. Uh, is this a nice way to say in heat? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a nice way to say it. In the wilderness, and it's kind of like uh, making the dunk. It's very clear. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. These pictures that they would, and it, what it, it's brutish. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. And that, you know, this is this is what you are. You're, you're, you know, wandering around looking for this, and it's obvious to everyone. And, uh, and, and then the the flip side that you know the these <laughs> uh, other gods or other um, peoples 
you know, they don't even they don't even have to to work for this because you're the one you're the one in working to stray from me that's seeking them out, which is, you know, a a, a devastating picture. Yeah, he does that in Ezekiel where he blames <coughs> blames her. No. And After she's even in Ezekiel, she's even she's serving as the uh um harlot. Yeah. But mm-hmm. she's paying the John. Right. And they're coming yeah. in. And so and then when he's he's done with with her, then he goes after the Johns. Right. And he's yeah. like, oh, I'm not done with you. Boom, boom, boom. Babylon, yeah. Syria, Egypt. Yeah. yeah. Which he will do in Jeremiah too. Uh, as well, not Jeremiah chapter two, but in Jeremiah as well. Um, maybe if you guys, tell me if I'm off on this. So, you know, there's, we can speak of different parts of the human being. We have intellect, we have emotion, we have will. And one of the things that that's interesting to me in both Ezekiel and here um, is he and partly because he's using the adultery picture, but he likes to talk about lust, right? This is appetite or desire talk. Um, And uh, so it's not just that, like, oh, you're making bad intellectual decisions, but this is, all of us can think of, I I think we think lust and we primarily think um, uh, sexual sins. But um, the... uh, Appetite maybe is a way to think of this with the desire. Like you're smitten with that thing. You're obsessed with it. There's almost to me like the picture of an addict, right, that 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 wants this thing that is bad for it and like has every reason to know that it's bad for him or her um, and yet is, uh, you know, needs the fix, is just fiending for that. And I, I think all of us can identify at some point or another that we can, at times, uh, want things that we we just, if our mind were checking in more, would be, we it, it, it would be like, you haven't thought this through. Um, but that, 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 that Israel is transfixed with these things, right? And, and never satiated. Um, because when you're given to lust or to passion, and we often in English use passion as a good thing, right? Someone's passionate. If one of you said to me, Wade, you're very passionate, I wouldn't say, shut up, that's cruel. <laughs> um, but we miss kind of the con- the old context of passion was your will, your appetites getting the better of you so that you then suffered as a, as a consequence. Um, and... So they're they're caught in this cycle of chasing but never being satiated, um, and maybe this goes back to the picture of those cisterns then, mm-hmm. because a broken cistern never fills, right? And so it you you could, you know, it's 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 like a a bottle with a hole. You can keep filling it and and filling it, but it it's never going to be full. And what they had with with the Lord, their husband, their bridegroom, was shalom. They they had wholeness. They had in the New Testament, as it so often emphasized, peace. And um and because of their lust now of right and lust being an, an appetite that's not connected. It's the will divorced from the intellect. Um and and divorced I would say from appropriate emotion. Right. Um they're now trapped in this cycle 
of trying to fill the cistern that just doesn't hold water. Um, and maybe that, when I, when I said at the beginning, it hits with some of the themes of our podcast, really gets to the heart of why we so desperately need the gospel. Um, because any of us can fall into that, um, that lust, desire, the appetite, and the attempts to keep filling broken cisterns. And I'm sure that there were like cistern techs mm-hmm. and, you know, um, cistern producers who promised the world. Um, and, and so it's not, it's not just that they did the math and made bad decisions. This wasn't like they messed up their budget. Uh, they've grown to detest the thing, the person that loved them most, and just become obsessed with things that will never give them what they actually uh, are seeking. And I think, you know, with using that picture too of not only, you know, seeking these other things, but then, you know, I think part of that too is, you know, looking outside of the Lord, but then also, you know, constructing your own solutions to these problems that, you know, and and I think you see that, here too, right? That in constructing, you know, you you've made this big mess by leaving the source in the first place, right? But now, you know, the solutions that you try to come up with, you know, to get yourself, you know, that that picture of, um, you know, you recognize your stain or your dirtiness, and you know, doesn't matter how much soap you use or how much laundry powder you're going to use, you know, um, it's not going to take care of the stain, right? That, so, so I think you, know, you have both of, both of those things that, that go in the constructing your cistern, you know, these broken cisterns that you keep pouring stuff in and it'll never fill up. And if you think that that's really a solution to leaving the source, um, you're in trouble in more ways than one. Yeah, and I think if we, if we even if we build on the picture of um, intimacy between husband and wife, um, versus promiscuous intimacy, um, the one is hopefully fulfilling, um, is meaningful, is upbuilding, edifying because of the relationship in which it takes place. And this is, you know, when the Lord's talking to Israel, I've known you, right? Like, you've known me. Um, the idea that, that this is, is more than just consumerism or commodities. On the flip side, uh, right, there is something, too, and Paul will talk in the New Testament about being one flesh, and um, that uh, there is a lack of... Um, there might be a, a momentary biological um, high or relief, but there there is not the um, upbuilding, the fulfillment, because there's not the relationship. Um, and God's saying you're not even going to be able to have these relationships with these people you're chasing, because the way you're chasing them doesn't make them love you, you, they're just using you. And that's where this idea of the, the filth or the mm-hmm. 
of the stain um, comes in. And, right, I've been your God. I've been your bridegroom. Like, you were richly dressed. Have you forgotten your ornaments, your jewelry? Um, <clears throat> you know, to now go about in these in these rags. And, and maybe this is, um, we, there's not a lot of gospel in this section. But this is, this is a, a helpful, and there will be gospel to come. But this is a helpful reminder for us and for those listening, too. Um, you, are the, you are the bride of Christ. Um, you are richly dressed. He's, he's brought you through the wilderness in your baptism. Right? He's, he's chosen you. And I think this is the power of the doctrine of election as well. Um, that you are the, the, the chosen of God. Um, and, and that's why it does deeply grieve him when we chase after others. Uh, but that's also what brought his son from heaven above um, to dress you in a robe not of your own righteousness. All our best works are about filthy rags. Uh, but of the righteousness of Christ too. So, so the same God who is here wounded and telling them what the consequences are going to be is also at the same time the God who elects in mercy and grace and dresses in righteousness, who leads, who delivers. And I think it's important that we not forget that too. Yeah, and I mean, there's not a lot of explicit gospel in the stuff that he's saying, but the fact that he is calling out... The right. fact that he wants to restore what they have um, so eagerly run away from. Uh, there's there's plenty of gospel to work with just in that right. fact of it, right? Um, but yeah, not a lot in what he's saying to them. Yep, not a, sure. Not in this section. Right. Michael, any closing thoughts? Um, for those listening who uh, could not hear Michael's gesture, he did a, was it a thumbs up? And then, uh, like, yeah. we're good. Oh, wait, I have, I do have one other thing that I. I'm need gonna let to you do. close it out. I just need to do this. Solid. It's pretty good. <sighs> it's pretty good. It's not quite dust, but it's. It's getting close. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you listening. Um, Jeremiah is not a bad read. If you get some time, you want to read through. I wouldn't start there, <laughs> and maybe start in the New Testament. Um, but I, I think the. Um, sometimes doing these things from the prophets can be interesting and, and helpful, and I hope you found it to be so. And that imagery that he uses in a, in a bunch of different ways is really fascinating. I yep. mean, a uh, bunch of different pictures all kind of illustrating that same truth, which is a sad truth in this chapter. But Right. Um, but as I mentioned before, uh, we hope you uh, enjoy this, but also that you, um, if you are listening, right, you are the beloved of God, you are the, the bride um, you are one whom he has chosen, and I, I hope that that brings you regular comfort and brings you uh, shalom and brings you peace uh, in, a, in a world that is constantly building broken cisterns and chasing after what, what ultimately uh, is not real righteousness and cannot offer real hope. And so we hope you will join us in letting the bird fly.
Another round, another round. 